Well, good morning, everybody. Isn't that cool? I just love that thing. I have it on a loop at my house. No, I don't. It would drive me crazy, but it's really cool. Uh, every once in a while, from time to time, we're, uh, we're, we're, we take a Sunday, and during our, uh, our conversation, our, our Sunday message, we talk about one of what we call the hard sayings of Jesus. And so this is a holiday weekend. Thank you, by the way, for making my church part of your New Year's weekend. We appreciate you being here. It's going to be awesome. We want to welcome you. Also welcome our, all the people that are uh, checking in live online through our live feed. Let's welcome all our guests. Thank you guys for coming. But, um, but at any rate, so like I said, every once in a while, we like to uh, take one of these topics that we call the hard sayings of Jesus and make it uh, the centerpiece of our conversation on a Sunday morning. Because as, as believers, as, as Christ followers, as people of faith, our goal is to build our life, to kind of use the quote from the song we just sang, but to build our life on the teachings of Christ and what he taught us and showed us and, uh, and the example that he set for us in his life and his teachings his, and, and, of course, his sacrificial death. And so we want to build our life on the words of Christ. But occasionally, if you read through the scriptural record of the words of Christ, every once in a while, Jesus said some really wild things. and The, the kind of things that would make you go, say, what? Really? Did he say that? They, and, and so it's, a very, it's, it's good for us to take the time to look at those hard sayings. Sometimes they're hard because they're just a little difficult to understand. Sometimes they might be hard because they're super challenging to the way we think about life and the way we want our faith life to work. And so uh, that's why it's, it's healthy for us to do this. Um, sometimes people would say, why do you suppose Jesus chose uh, on these certain occasions to say such provocative, weird things? Could he not have found a more, I don't know, sort of a different way to, to approach some of these topics? Could he not have uh, been more plain, a little more understandable, a little less shocking? Well, I suppose he can, but here's the reason, there are a lot of reasons why Jesus chose to speak and teach in the way he did, especially when he said some of these hard sayings. There's a lot of different opinions about it, but Jesus was the most creative, the most powerful, most authoritative and effective public speaker in the history of the world. And he knew what he was doing. He was creative. He knew how to really reach and connect with the audience and communicate to the audience that he was speaking to. And he knew sometimes you just had to make a splash to make an important point. Sometimes you have to shake them up to wake them up. And so that's what he did often in, in some of these hard sayings. Today's hard saying, are you ready to hear what today's hard saying is? Now, if you have one of your, our worship guides, you've got a little note-taking insert inside the worship guide. And so the title is all a bunch of uh, blank spaces, and you can fill in the title. I worked really hard on this title. Are you guys ready for this? 
I, I just, that was one of the lamest responses I've ever gotten in my life. I'm not saying you're lame. I'm just saying I, I need more from you. Just do. I'm sorry. Um, so are you ready for this title? Gosh, that was awesome. Thank you. I know it was coerced, so it really wasn't genuine, but thanks for playing along. All right? So here's the title, big, long title. You ready? Pluck out your eye and cut off your hand. I'll give you a minute to fill that in. Pluck out your eye and cut off your hand. Jesus actually said that in some situations, we should pluck out one or both of our eyes and cut off one or both of our hands. And we're going to look at this hard saying and try to figure out what in the world is going on. So we're going to find it in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. And in verse 27, he kind of, 27, 28, he sort of sets it up and then he gets to this punchline, which is the hard saying. So let's take a look. If you, if you don't have your Bible with you, you can see it on the screen here in a moment, or you can look, up at, look it up in your device. It's written also on the sermon notes insert. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 30, Jesus said, you've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say to you, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So, verse 29 says, if your eye causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Verse 30, and if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. All right, that's it. Thank you all for coming. Appreciate it. (laughs) So did Jesus just tell us that we're supposed to? I mean, does he say what? Does he really mean for us to literally, physically gouge out our eye and cut off our hand if our eye causes us to sin via lust or if our hand were to cause us to sin by, he doesn't say it here, but presumably by taking something, stealing something, uh, striking someone, uh, touching someone inappropriately. Is that what Jesus is telling us to do, to literally and physically remove these parts of our body that cause us to sin? Here's my answer. No. That's not what he's asking us to do. He's not asking, and and here's why I know that. It's actually this statement, this super provocative, gouge out your eye, cut out your hand thing, cut off your hand thing, is actually very, sort of an ironic statement to come after what he says in verses 27 and 28. Because we just read where he said he was talking about the act of adultery, of committing adultery, of, of, of having uh, sexual relationship with someone that is married to someone else, someone that you are not married. So in other words, the act of adultery. He's talking about the act of adultery as it compares to lust in a person's heart. And he is saying that lust in the heart is just as bad as actually doing the act of adultery. 
That in and of itself is a wild statement to make. Some people would say, so does that mean if I have lust in my mind and my heart, I've already done the deed, so I might as well physically do the deed? The answer again is no. Evil breaks through into the world and into the lives and reality and the physical nature of our world and other people. Evil breaks through when we act physically, externally in a sin. But Jesus is saying that the same level of evil has broken through in our heart when we allow ourselves to dwell on lust. That's what Jesus is saying. He said it earlier in in this passage. If you read the rest of Matthew chapter 5, and actually Ed spoke to this a a few weeks ago. He said the same thing about uh, comparing murder to harboring anger in your heart against someone. Obviously, it is an evil breakthrough when someone takes another person's life. Jesus is saying it is a similar evil breakthrough when we live with seething anger in our lives all the time. And we let that go. And we let, let that live. And we let that be a part of how we function internally. Jesus is saying, as Ed so well, put it so well a few weeks ago, the heart of the issue is an issue of the heart. And so by saying that you got to look at what's going on in your heart, not just in addition to your external behavior, also look at what's going on in your heart. By saying that, he was saying, this is not ultimately, and it's not primarily, an external issue. And so his statement about removing a physical part of our body, that's not what he's saying here. Because he just told us that a man or a woman could have lust in their heart, and they are committing a grievous sin. Evil has broken through internally for them. If that person were to gouge out both of their eyes, they still have the ability to lust in their hearts. So the problem is not solved, and the issue is not dealt with. So, why, if Jesus does not want us to physically remove parts of our body, what's the point? I'm about to give you the point. This is what we would call the sermon in a sentence. You ready for this? The sermon in a sentence is, Jesus wants us to deal ruthlessly and aggressively with the things that cause us to sin. Jesus wants us to deal ruthlessly and aggressively with the things that cause us to sin. To sin, And that's what we're going to talk about here today. How does that look? How does that work? Is there really any hope to, to really deal with the things that cause us to sin? Now, let's go back and look at these verses. If you guys uh, don't mind going back to the, the, the last verse slide, verses 28 and 20, I'm sorry, 29 and 30. It says... Um, Verse 29, if your eye causes you to lust. Now, jump to the next slide if you don't mind. I'm sorry, making them go back and forth. If your hand causes you to sin. I want to look at the word causes. 
We want to deal ruthlessly and aggressively with things that cause us to sin. If you look at that word and you kind of dig around in the study and the meaning of that word in the original language, it's talking about uh, to cause is to um, is, is like to trip up, to cause to to trip or stumble. It's like placing a stumbling block in someone's path. So here's the way I would like us to visualize this. The path of faith, the life and the walk of faith that God designs for each of us so that we can, we can live healthy and full lives. The path of faith is the path that we are on. And as we walk on this path, there are going to be things that are in our path that could cause us to stumble. You ever been walking or running uh, in a, on a trail, and a uh, trail might be kind of smooth, but all of a sudden there's a tree root that sticks up just a little higher than, than the ground? Anybody been in that situation? And you, you hit that, and you stumble, and you feel embarrassed, and you look around, did anybody see me because I look like an idiot? That's, a, that's an example of something that could trip you up. Or there could be something that is so big in the way, impeding the path, that it kind of could take you out at the knees and you could actually do a serious tumble. It could be the Lego brick to the bare foot of your soul. Ow, I literally got groans from saying that because we've all, all been there. There are things that cause us to stumble. And we need to deal ruthlessly and aggressively with the things that cause us to stumble. That's what we're going to be talking about here today. And uh, so the first idea that I would like to throw out is that it's super important for us to identify our stumbling blocks. Identify the stumbling blocks in your life. In other words, pinpoint the thing. Point to the, to the sin. Name the problem that for you specifically and repeatedly has been or could continue to be a problem. Identify the stumbling block. Name it. Call it out and be honest and humble about it. This is very difficult to do. But the wisest, bravest people I know are those that name and call out their stumbling blocks. When I hear a person say to me or in a group or in some sort of relational context or conversation, honestly, I hear somebody honestly say, I've got a problem with my temper. I say, wise, brave soul. They're calling out their stumbling block. They're looking at it and they're saying, this is a, this is a sin. This is a problem for me. Perhaps it's anger for you. Perhaps it's uh, fear. For you, perhaps it's unforgiveness. Perhaps it's as the verse that we read before. Perhaps it's that lust issue 
That, that was one of my big, biggest stumbling blocks was the lust issue. And I'm telling you guys, if we think that we can manage and control these stumbling block type of things without calling it out and bringing it in faith to our God in prayer, we're fooling ourselves. We're fooling ourselves if we think we can handle it on our own. It's very easy, uh, it's, it's super tempting, I think, when we think about some of the blocks and, and uh, flaws in our character or, or repeated habits that seem to be tripping us up and causing us to either trip on the path or maybe they block the path and we end up going on a different path, coming off the path of faith. Whatever it is, it's super easy for us to minimize or compare when it comes to looking at our stumbling blocks. We can say, hey, it's not that bad. You know, um, but, and here's why we know it's not that bad. Because if we think hard, we can always find somebody that's worse off than us. And we can think about them and it'll make us feel better about our sin. And you guys are looking at me like you've never thought that before. But I know. I know the truth. Because I know my heart. And I'm sure that many of us can relate to that. That we would minimize. And hand in hand with minimizing and trying to make sure like it's not that big a deal. Is to compare ourselves to others. But we need to lay down that temptation to, to, to cover ourselves and uncover the real truth about our stumbling blocks and bring that to the Lord and bring that under what I like to call, and this is sort of a churchy phrase, all right? I want to throw this out to you. is to bring something, what we call under the Lordship of Christ. You guys ever heard that phrase before? To bring something under the Lordship of Christ. What that means is, is to take an area of my life and intentionally and purposefully drag that into my conversation with the Lord and drag that into my relationship with God where it's a point of conversation between me and God, where it's something I regularly talk to the Lord about, that I don't try to ignore, that I don't try to kind of keep pulled off into the corner so that I could go do the kind of Christian-y, churchy things that I like that give me good vibes and then just ignore that. But to literally say, I can take my stumbling blocks and I can drag them into these moments with God when I'm trying to pursue the path of faith. What would 2019 look like for us if we got comfortable bringing our sin habits and problems and mistakes and, oh, I did it again and I can't seem to break this habit. If we could bring those things into the light of our real moments with God. I spent a lot of time in my Christian faith and in my path of faith thinking that the way to get the best moments with God the most momentum and growth and maturity as a Christian 
was to keep all of that stuff off to the side until I could figure it out and get better at it. And then God would be more proud of me. I'd have better conversations with God. There'd be more flow, and I would be a better Christian. That's kind of how I felt. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is you bring all of you to all of him. And we bring that stuff under the lordship of Christ by saying, Lord, Father, you are not just my forgiver, you're my leader. And I'm not in charge of this area of my life anymore. I'm not going to try to fix this anymore. I'm not going to try to hide it. I'm not going to try to minimize it. And I'm not going to try to compare myself to others. I'm going to bring it to you and ask you to help me grow. Does that make sense? That, and, and I'm telling you, the strength of my faith is directly connected to my bringing stuff under the Lordship of Christ. Imagine 2019 if we didn't play that game anymore and we quickly and decisively and intentionally brought all our stuff into our relationship with God and stopped trying to deal with stuff on our own or trying to hide stuff. 19 could be a big deal for us if we do that. But we've got to identify our stumbling blocks. But that's not the end because at that point, all we're trying to do is modify our behavior. This is not about behavior modification. This is not about us acting better. If I could just stop doing the wrong things that I'm doing. Now, stopping sinning, to stop sinning is a good thing. It's a win. And it is a goal in my life. But here's what I'm realizing. It's not just about identifying what is the sin. It's identifying it's digging deeper. So that's actually the, the, the next point. Dig to the source. Dig to the source. Let's dig deeper and let's find out what really is going on. This is beyond the behavior question. This is the why question. This is the why do I do the things I do? Well, I mean... There are some obvious answers to the why question, which is, why do I sin? Well, because I'm a human being, and, and that's what human beings do. We sin. That's just, that's just the way it's been since Adam and Eve. The first human beings committed the first sin. That's what happened. That's what we all do. So, obviously, that's part of the why. But there are deeper, more specific and sometimes unique answers to the why question for each of us. Have you ever heard the, the phrase, uh, somebody set in their ways, W-A-Y-S? Anybody here set in their ways? I am. I love my ways. I don't, don't, don't mess with my ways because get off me. That's that, uh, if, if we know what it's like for somebody to be set in their ways, the ways that we live. We all have our ways. Peter Frampton said, baby, I love your ways every day. If, what do you people listen to? I mean, classic rock? No one? Okay. We're going to, we'll edit that out of the recording. But we all have our ways. 
but do you know behind every one of our ways is a wound? I got heavy real quick. But the reason we act, the reason we are the way we are, and the reason we do the things we do, has a lot to do, A, with the fact that we're sinful human beings, as we said before. But specifically for us in our stories, there have been particular things that we've been through, particular sins that we committed that opened the door to certain patterns in our life, particular wounds that were inflicted upon us that made us targets, if you will, for, uh, for, some, tough, for some tough stuff, for some wounds that ended up shaping the way we believe and think about life, about ourselves, and even about God. And so our ways are often shaped by our wounds. Now, I want to share a passage with you, and it's, it's actually in your, um, it's in your uh, notes. We actually skipped over this verse. I'm sorry, uh, uh, back there, Trip. Um, it's 1 Peter 5. Can you go find 1 Peter 5 for me? 1 Peter 5, verse 8 says, Stay alert. Watch out your great enemy, the devil. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Thank you, Tripp. Um, There's an assignment that that our enemy, the enemy of our souls, the devil, has for each of us. Jesus explained that he came, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to take from us. He'd like to squash us. He'd like to ultimately crush us if he could. He'll settle for a stumble. He'll settle for a diversion. He'll settle for a distraction. But ultimately, he wants to destroy what there is about us. And there's an assignment over me and there's an assignment over you. He's got a plan. He's got a strategy. And if we're not alert to the ways that he wants to attack us, then we're sitting ducks. So what I'm saying is we can sort of uh, intercept this whole process by being willing not just to identify what our stumbling blocks are, but to also say, um, why is that particular stumbling block such a big deal to me? There's a why behind the way I live. And a lot of times the why leads straight to a wound or some sort of traumatic event or some sort of thing. And I'm sorry to go all Dr. Phil on you. But the point is, is that if you're, if you're serious, if you and I are serious about wanting to get to the root, about dealing ruthlessly and aggressively with the things that, that cause us to stumble and cause us to mess up our, our faith journey in this path, if we're serious about that, then we're going to have to ask these hard questions about why. There's another verse in Psalm 139 that I'd like to show you real quick. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. The, David, the psalmist says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Now, here's, this is the good news. You know, we're talking about all this deep stuff, that, there, that we have wounds that have shaped our ways. If we're going to ever ask, get down to the real 
ask a question of the bottom line issue of why we do what we do. It's going to lead us into some, it's going to be a hard, those are hard questions and they're hard conversations to have. However, this psalm, Psalm 139, talks, even before it gets to these verses we just read, talks about how the God, how that God knows us inside and out. He knows everything about us. He is uh, the author of our story. And here at the end of this psalm, the psalmist cries out, Search me, O God, and let me know if there's anything in my heart that offends you. Now, when I read that, I was like, ooh, I, I know there's a ton in my heart that offends God. I could make you a list. So I, I started studying that word. You know what that, the, the, in the original language, that word uh, means uh, that grieves you, that grieves you. So it's not like, God, just show me all the stuff that makes you so ticked off at me that you're super frustrated. No, Lord, show me what grieves you. God, did you know that God grieves over the sin that breaks us? Do you know that God grieves over the things that break our hearts? He grieves over the choices that we make? God grieves over all the stuff in our lives that is keeping us from being fully alive. And if we could have a conversation, an ongoing conversation with God that included this question, Lord, what is it in me that grieves you? Then God could help us and he could show us all the stuff that is behind the ways that we live our lives. So if you are interested in getting to the, to the bottom of why we do what we do, I encourage you, pray that prayer. Lord, show me what is in me and in my story that grieves you. I used to not want to ask that, pray that prayer because I was kind of afraid what I was going to find because, you know, there's some dark stuff in my past, in my history. A lot of stuff I regret, a lot of stuff I don't, you know, it's like God wants to walk through these parts of my heart and I'm like, Lord, I don't even go there. You know, there's places in my heart I don't even go much less to kind of go through it with you. But there's no way around it, guys. If we're going to deal ruthlessly and aggressively with everything that causes us to stumble, we're going to have to come to this point where we say, Lord, I will let you guide me through this. And I, and I will tell you that we need help. This is, this is something that we need help walking through. I decided... Um, a number of years ago that I was going to take this path of asking and digging and trying to get to the source. And there was no way for me to do it without circling around me a, a, a group of trusted people that could help me ask these questions. And I encourage you, consider that. As you look ahead to 2019, consider gathering people around you that you could trust to get a bring into be a part of this conversation. Now, last thing I want to tell you is we have to have a plan and we, we need to get a plan and we need to work the plan. Get a plan and work the plan. If you want to find out what's the source, how to start getting free, how to start living free from the stuff that has been a stumbling block for you in the past, you're going to have to get a plan and you're going to have to work the plan.
Now, the plan is going to be super practical, all right? Super practical. Remember, this whole conversation started with Jesus saying, if something's causing trouble for you, if something's leading you to sin, gouge it out, cut, it off, cut the hand off. Radical statements. Your plan is going to need to be practical. There are things in our lives that need to be removed. Can I say it this way? There are contacts in your phone that need to be removed. There are toxic relationships that you need to reassess and get a plan for how to keep yourself safe and protected from toxic people. There are channels on your cable package that need to be removed. If your eye offends you, gouge it out. If you are serious about wanting 2019 to be different than 2018 and all the years before, if you are serious about wanting to be different, about change coming, about living fully alive as opposed to living the way you always have, there are things that will need to change. And there will be practical changes that need to be made. I have a friend in the men's group that I, I, I lead on, on Tuesday nights. We, we actually have a couple uh, Tuesday and Thursday nights, meet at different places around town. And we get guys together and we talk about this kind of stuff. We talk about the why. We talk about the stuff that needs to be removed from our lives. So I had a guy who came to me and he almost lost his whole family over the issue of lust and sexual sin. All right? And in the process of his of God rescuing him from that and saving his family. You know what's something he did? And I'm talking, this is one of the coolest, hippest, youngest, sharpest guys I know. He got a flip phone. You're looking at me like I'm an idiot. He got a flip phone in 2017. He ditched his smartphone. Why? Because he needed, he was aggressively and ruthlessly removing something that was causing him to stumble. Flip phone. So I'm sending the group text, hey, remember tonight's Route 1520, blah, blah, blah. And all he's getting is, you know, these blocks and stuff because he can't get emojis on his flip phone. He can't get punctuation on his flip phones. Guys are, are, are responding in the group text with thumbs up and he gets nothing. The guys under his command wore him out, ragged him constantly about his flip phone. Kept his flip phone for 18 months because he needed to break free from, the, from one of the sources of the thing that was causing him to stumble. I'm not saying, I don't know. I'm not the flip phone police, but I'm telling you this. I, I, I used to have on my phone a little uh, cover you know, like a protector, like it was actually like a little wallet and you'd open it up and, and then see the screen. I stopped doing that. I now have, a, listen, your spouse needs to have access to your phone. They need to know the, the passcode. They need to have access to your contacts. They need to know who you're texting. They need to know who your friends are and who your followers are on social media. Don't look at me stupid. I'm serious. Your spouse... You, you, there are people that you're friends with you shouldn't be friends with. 
we gotta, we got to have a practical plan to bring safety and health and real intimacy back in the relationships that matter. So your plan is going to be practical. But your plan is also going to address the true source of the issue. Let me tell you something. In Luke Skywalker's Jedi training, and yes, we're going there. In Luke Skywalker's Jedi training, in the second, well, it was episode five, but um, in the second movie that came out in the 70s, um, he had to go into a dark cave to seek out some of the stuff about the internal deep darkness in his own heart. And he saw stuff in there he didn't like, and none of us understood, but we do now. Listen, listen, Jedi, listen, my, my Jedi friends. We got to go into the, into the cave. We don't go alone. The master, Jesus Christ, walks us through the dark caves of our heart. And he will show us where the wounds are. And all we have to do is trust him. He'll do it at the right time, in the right place, when we're ready. And we will, little by little, week by week, month by month, and year by year, become healthier, more whole people. And we'll stay on the path. And we won't be sidetracked. And we won't stumble our way through the rest of our lives. This is what God is calling us to. Ruthlessly and aggressively addressing everything and removing things in our life that cause us to stumble. You know, something, uh, we'll wrap this up here. Something I love about the Christmas season. I love so much about celebrating Christmas. I love in, uh, yeah, you'll go through the history of the weirdness of how Christmas became a Christian thing. It's, it's strange. Um, you know, why December? December doesn't even, you know, Jesus wasn't born in December, right? You know, all this stuff. But you know what I think is cool about celebrating the birth of Christ or remembering the birth of Christ in December is because it's the uh, darkest month of the year. It's, uh, you know, the, 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 the days get shorter, the nights get longer. And uh, isn't it fitting that we celebrate the light of the world coming and the darkest time of the year? Darkest, darkest point on the calendar. Literally the most hours in darkness there is. I love the story of the wise man. You guys know the nativity scene, right? I mean, you got a nativity set in your house? Got the wise men and the camels? You know what's weird about that is the wise men did not show up when Jesus was a, an infant. It didn't actually happen. The wise men didn't show up till a long time later. Might have even been two years later. Is that weird? Now, so what you need to do is you need to go to Grandma's nativity set and, and smash the wise man off of there. No, I'm kidding. It was, it was just trying to compress the story to explain what all happened. It's okay. It's no big deal. But uh, the wise men came because they saw the star, and they, and, and they came to, the, to, to Jerusalem, and they went to the king of Jerusalem, King Herod, and they said, look, we've been following this star because we think it means that a king was born. And we've been reading all the ancient prophecies and everything, so we're asking you to help us. Where's this king? So Herod freaks out because Herod's the king, and he doesn't want no baby king coming and taking his throne. So he's like, oh, dear, what am I going to do? And so 
he says to the wise men, well, hey, good, good luck. We think it's going to be in Bethlehem. Uh, you know, at least he was born there. You know, trace it down, track him down, figure it out. But when you find him, come tell me because I want to worship him too. Wink, wink. Really what he wanted to do was wipe him out so that his throne wouldn't be a, 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 in trouble. So the wise men uh, went and eventually did find Jesus and they worshiped him. They brought him offerings. You know, gold, frankincense, myrrh, and there's a lot of cool meaning behind all that. But when it was time for them, when they were done worshiping him, it was time for them to go. There's this verse in Matthew chapter 2, verse 12. It says, uh, But God warned the wise men in a dream not to go back to Herod, so they returned to their own country by a different way. And that just means that God said, Don't, don't, don't go to Herod because he, he's, he's up to no good and uh, leave in secret in a way that Herod can't chase you. So that's what that means. But you know what's cool about the symbolism of them saying that the wise men went home a different way? It's sort of symbolic, okay? It's that when you encounter Jesus, and when you have a worship moment with Jesus, and you bring him your offerings... And you bring yourself to him. And you bring all your stuff to him. Even your stumbling blocks and the, and the junk of your life. And when you have this encounter with Jesus, you are never, ever the same after that. You're never the same. And you will get up from that encounter and you will leave and you will be different. And you will go home a different way. You know what? 2019 doesn't have to be exactly like 2018 was. We can go into 2019 a different way. We can go a different way. Not because it's first of the year and we can do these resolutions. We can do it because we encounter Christ. And we bring our humble, all we got, don't have nothing else kind of offerings to Him. And we bring our offerings to Jesus and we get up and we are not the same anymore. And I think tonight, today, on your way home from church, you should take a different route back to your house. Just for kicks. Just to say, I'm not the same person I used to be. I don't have to do everything exactly the same way every single time. I am going home. I am getting up. I am moving into 2019 a different way. There is hope for us. We can be healed We can find true life, vibrant faith. We can change. We can be different because of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you that you've met us. And I ask that you would give us courage, Lord. Give us the courage to ask you to walk us through the real truth of our lives, about our stumbling blocks, about the things that hinder us, God, we want an encounter with you that will change us. In Jesus' name, as our heads are bowed, I want to ask you this. Perhaps today you would like to begin your relationship with God. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're saying, I do not, I'm not on the path of faith. I don't have a relationship with God. My sins have not been forgiven. And I want that today. I encourage you, pray this prayer with me. You can say it out loud. You can say it in your heart. Father in heaven, I want my life to be different. I turn from my sins.
I come to you. I believe Jesus came to save me. I ask Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior, my leader and my forgiver. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Stand with us as we get ready to close. Perhaps today you've had a faith encounter with God. Maybe maybe you've made a faith decision. Maybe you made that decision we just prayed about, about making Jesus the leader and forgiver of your life. If that's you, or if there's any prayer need you have, I encourage you to take the connection card and the seat back in front of you and just write your name, check off what what God's put on your heart. We'd love to pray for you. If you want to talk to us, let us know and we'll contact you. If not, we'll just pray for you, whatever the case may be. Thank you. Happy New Year. And here's to 2019 being different.